Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. Back in August, uh, as you may have heard, uh, we hit Tech Dirt's 25th anniversary, and to celebrate it, we hosted a really fun uh, live event for Tech Dirt Insiders, where uh, everybody got to hang out and meet with each other, as well as some of the Tech Dirt writers and staff. And uh, as part of that, we also did an interview of me, uh, along with Tech Dirt co-founder Dennis Yang, uh, and the interview was conducted by Alex Fierst from Murmuration Labs, uh, who's been a long-term Tech Dirt supporter and actually uh, did an interview of Dennis and I years ago on the podcast as well. But this time we were talking about the history of Tech Dirt and sort of how it all fit together for the 25th anniversary. It was a really fun conversation. Um, the, the whole event was actually a, a lot of fun. We're hoping to do uh, some more of them in the future. So for this week's podcast, we decided that we would run the interview portion of the event uh, for everybody to listen to. So uh, please enjoy, and we'll be back next week with a new podcast. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. So let's get started with the actual conversation. We are having two people uh, come on stage, um, one of which is uh, Dennis Yang, who co-founded TechDirt and without whom uh, there probably would be no TechDirt. Um, he helped, helped, we can, we'll talk about it in, in, in a minute, I think, but he helped out on the side, just as kind of a, a favor uh, to me for a while, and then came on board and was full-time for, for many years, and uh, uh, has, has not been full-time in, in many years, but is, is still obviously a close friend of TechDirt. So we'll have him on stage to talk about the early days of TechDirt and different things that have happened. Um, and then to handle the actual interviewing, uh, of us and, and the asking the question. So it's not just Dennis and I talking to each other. We brought on Alex Fierst from Murmuration Labs. Uh, and this, who has never been officially associated with TechDirt, I guess, but is also a, a close friend uh, and a long-term reader and member of the community. Um, and something that we discovered a few years ago when Dennis and I tried to have a discussion about the early days of TechDirt um, and we recorded it as a podcast of just Dennis and I talking. And we realized that we're really bad at that, <laughs> just coming up with a way to talk about ourselves that way. And it was much better if we had somebody else interviewing us. And uh, Alex had volunteered and turned out to be really, really good at it when he did it. So we have brought him back to, to reprise that role. So uh, Dennis and Alex, if you uh, can come up on stage, and I forget the exact... Uh, method to do so. There's Dennis. You've got it. Alex, I think you might just need to turn on your camera. There we go. Hello. Hello. All right. There we go. So, uh, Alex, I'm going to turn it over to you to, uh, to, to have us talk about Tector. Awesome. Um, so I'll just talk for 15 or 20 seconds and then we'll get started. Um, so it's an honor and pleasure to be here. I'm glad to be doing this with y'all. Um, it's 
interesting to reflect back on the last 25 years, um, having created sort of an institution. I talk to younger lawyers and lawyers who want to get into tech all the time nowadays, and I probably have for a decade, talk to people from other parts of the country who want to move to the Bay Area and get into tech, or people who want to get into tech policy. And one of the things that I do is tell them to start reading Tech, tech Dirt and just sort of get immersed in the community and start getting oriented with the issues. And that's a, and that's sort of like one of the ways to, to just, um, you know, but through osmosis, start thinking about and caring about the issues of the day. Because, you know, for me, it's been one of the sources of of intellectual integrity where you all take positions and discuss positions seriously. Um, you believe the things you say, um, not only in the second that you say them, but until <laughs> until con until contrary evidence causes you to change your mind as opposed to political expediency or you know, shifting allyship. And there's a also a recurrence of themes over the year. And so it's really, I think, an institution and also an an educational entree for a lot of people into the norms and the intellectual modes and themes of tech in Silicon Valley. And so glad to be here with you all sort of thinking about how how in the world this happened and <laughs> how it became part of the fossil record. Um, so given that, I guess we'd start, may as well start as we do in therapy at the beginning with <laughs> you know, how you became sort of tech policy supervillains and, <laughs> and your origin story about um, you know what? What you what you had in mind when you first founded it, and maybe what th what the themes in the air were at the time that made you want to start talking about these things, and what it was you were trying to communicate to people, and that want, made you want to do this. Yeah, sure. So you know, I mean, it definitely. I, I was not intending this to become anything serious, right? So when I started it, I was in business school, and I was uh, I actually started it in in August, so right before I started my second year of, of business school. And, um, I, I, what happened was I was, you know, I, um, I wanted a job <laughs> and I didn't think I was creating my job. I thought I was creating something that would help me get a job. Um, which w was that, you know, in business school, especially uh, business school on the East coast, um, it like Silicon Valley seemed a million miles away. Um, but I was really, really interested in technology and innovation and entrepreneurship. Um, and I, I wanted to be working on something related to the internet. And, and that was the one thing that I knew, but I was afraid that I didn't, I didn't have anything that would make me stand out uh, as a candidate to, to work for, for any of those companies. So, um, and, and most of the people that I, most of my, my classmates in business school were going down one of the more traditional business school uh, career paths. So, you know, investment banking, consulting, uh, consumer product, consumer packaged goods or whatever it is, CPG. Um, and I had no interest in, in any of those things. Like they frightened me. So I, I was sort of, um, I need to work in technology or, or bust, you know? And so I just decided that I was going to start writing this newsletter, um, because maybe, you know, it would be a way to sort of show passion about, about the technology field. Um, and what I did initially was I, um, I copied somebody else's newsletter, <laughs> which was uh, Danny O'Brien, who uh, many folks here probably know, uh, who is, is currently at Filecoin, was at uh, 
uh, Falcone Foundation, was at EFF for many years. But he had had this newsletter, which predated mine by, a, a, I think, just a few months, honestly, called Need to Know. Um, and it was funny and insightful and a little bit more techie-focused and sort of law or policy or business-focused. Um, but the format was great. Um, and I wished that I could be as clever and as funny as Danny. So I just kind of copied the, the different elements of, of his newsletter and just started sending it out initially just to, to classmates uh, in the business school. Um, and they just started sending it around. And, and sort of at, at, at the last minute before I sent it out, I put a little thing at the bottom saying, like, if you want to subscribe, send an email to to mdm8 at cornell.edu, which was my email. And people started subscribing. And, and really, really quickly, um, uh, we had, I had a, a pretty big subscription list um, and uh, included people from the industry as well. Uh, and so I, I just, you know, was using that to, to write about things. And, and um, you know, that, that, that's the very beginning. But I, in general, in terms of the themes and concepts, you know, I was really interested in sort of like what makes innovation work. And, and in particular, like, honestly, like the, the economics of the internet were sort of fascinating to me. And, and I had um, two really, really, to me, super influential mentors slash professors um, uh at the business school, um, Professor Alan McAdams, um, who was this sort of strange guy who he was an economist by training. He had worked in the Nixon White House as an economist, and he had been like one of the government's expert witnesses in the IBM antitrust trial in the early 80s. Um, everybody forgets the IBM antitrust trial. Everybody remembers AT&T because that got broken up. IBM, that that one failed. Um, I don't know if it was because of Professor McAdams not doing a good job or what, but uh, that one failed. But um, he, he, you know, was sort of in his late seventies or whatever at the time and just became really fascinated in the, the you know, early to mid nineties with things like open source software, which wasn't even a term at the time. Um, and, about the sharing of information and how the internet enabled the sharing of information. And it was it really, you know, quite visionary. Um, he had a whole bunch of really visionary ideas. And, um, uh, and I took a class from him, which was technically a management consulting class. As I said, like one of the career paths was management consulting and all these people took the class to become management consultants. And he just would immediately from day one, would would go on these long rants about the internet and freedom of information and the flow of information and how it's going to change everything. And nobody in the class seemed to understand what the hell he was talking about. And we're really confused as to what, what any of it had to do with management consulting. And I think I was kind of in that bucket at first as well. And then started like thinking through like what he was talking about and all the stuff that I'd been paying attention to, because I'd been fascinated by the internet for a while and subscribed to wired from, from, you know, the very beginning and all sorts of stuff and began to sort of piece it together and say like, he's, he's a little nuts, uh, but he's also right. And like his theories about, about how the economics of the internet work and how they're different from other kinds of, of industries is, is dead on. He's terrible at explaining it, but, but he's actually got really interesting theories. So I started, I just started hanging out with him, honestly. Um, 
and um and then was like a, a teaching assistant for his class and began to just sort of like really begin to explore these ideas and he he was the one who actually encouraged me to just start writing about it and then to create a website um eventually and so him and then the other one was professor don greenberg um who was also kind of a, a strange cat and w where he uh you know depending on who you talk to is one of the inventors of 3d graphics um and computer graphics the rumor was that uh was sgi was founded by jim clark right i think who was out of stanford and the rumor was that he he had reached out to don greenberg and he wanted to co-found it with, with don and don was like nah i'm happy being a professor but um Don was like, he had been an architecture student and then like in the 1960s, like saw the early computers and was like, this is going to revolutionize architecture and just like stayed, um, went from being an architecture student straight to being a professor. Uh, and then, but was like always from the 60s and 70s playing around with computers and, and how computers could be useful in architecture. And eventually like they gave him his own department that was, wasn't in the architecture school, wasn't in the computer science school, was its own, like there was a school or I don't know if they technically call it a school, but like the computer graphics department um, and was like all into 3D graphics, but then also just became really, really interested in like how innovation works. So he taught this amazing class. Again, this is like the nineties where he would just sort of pit two different kinds of technologies against each other. And um, you would have to like make a case for, for one or the other. And so like to sort of see how, how technologies grow and change. I remember like, you know, again, this is the nineties where most people, you know, if they were on the internet, were on dial up and we were having debates about DSL versus cable, uh, and like, what was, what was going to, you know, what was going to take over. And we talked about like closed source software versus open source software. Again, like really, really early on. Um, and just like really was really, really helpful in like figuring out how to, how do you think these things through and where does innovation go? And so those two guys were sort of like, you know, really very much in my mind. And I was thinking a lot about this stuff and then professor McAdams really encouraged me to, to, to write stuff and I wanted a job. And so all of that came together into this, uh, this newsletter. Uh, and then eventually, again, because of Professor McAdams saying, like, take that newsletter and turn it into a website and you can show people it <laughs> and not just email it to them. Um, and, and that's kind of where I came from. So it's, it's funny to me, to some extent, um, to think that like so much of like, you know, the, the tech policy side of things, the, the like tech policy villains. Right. Like I, I didn't know what tech policy meant. I, I was not. You know, I didn't come from the legal side. I didn't come from the policy side. I wasn't really interested in the legal or policy side, frankly. Um, I was interested in the, the, the how the innovation worked and, and the economics of it and um, and the entrepreneurial aspect of it. And it was just like, but the more I was reading about that stuff and the more I was writing about it, the more I was like, wait, the policy side of it really matters. The legal side of it really matters. And all these things have an impact on it. And I just got dragged deeper and deeper and deeper into that until I became the tech policy villain. Right. And I guess at, at that moment, like there was this gap, like you could strike sparks and have a very powerful email list. Like you could have like a Craigslist or this, where you can get a following sort of amazingly quickly in some ways, but the monetization thinking was like way, way, way behind. And so people would yeah. sort of be like, why don't you like sell a banner ad to a local pizza place <laughs> in Ithaca for 30 bucks. <laughs> right. and, and so like that gap between um, monetization being sort of like largely local in some ways um, 
and but then having the first hints of like being able to scale things where if you had a cool list or something you know all of a sudden you'd have like thousands of emails um right was like sort of that that moment was was what was weird about it um um and i and i suppose those folks in ithaca like never figured out how to turn their policy turn their innovation policy chops into turning ithaca into like silicon yeah. valley um oh, god i mean but, they, they always try but yeah nothing ever yeah. <laughs> seriously came of that yeah but i but I, I think it was like a very distinct moment where different parts of working online were like very in very different developmental places um including yeah. this like monetization and, and and scale sort of stuff um so dennis how when when did you first sort of enter the picture and what did you make of all this when like so i guess mike asked you to sort of help out yeah no, i mean that's so basically mike, mike and i met um undergrad at cornell um through a mutual friend you both we both shared kind of a passion for ska music and that was our initial connection <laughs> um it's our friend donna, i remember sat us down at a, on a sofa at a at a party at our house and said mike this is Dennis. Dennis this is Mike. You both like ska, and then left. So we so we we, we struck up a friendship. Landed on ska music. Um, I forgot that part, but yes, yeah. And and you know, for years we never. I mean, we never really talked about technology or anything. Or just we're just kind of friends um, for a while. Um, I ended up moving out to San Francisco in in '97 and started working in in tech and um, you know do and and are familiar with. How to program um that was ultimately i worked in software engineering and i think what i had heard about up to date was i started subscribing to it and i i don't i don't mike do you remember your your nickname in school was Newshound? i think was, i don't remember that at all yeah, but okay <laughs> he said mike was known as the news hound amongst school amongst his, <laughs> his b-school friends um because he always had a penchant for just somehow knowing everything that was going on and it was sort of like up to date was I think almost like a, a small encapsulation of what was actually in Mike's brain at the time. Because <laughs> um, you could ask him literally about anything that was happening in the industry and he would have a perspective on it. Um, so then I think <laughs> we we had a few failed attempts. I think he sort of mentioned to me, I don't know if you were had moved out, out to the Bay already or I think you, you probably must have, right? So Yeah. Um, so because you, you had moved out before me because I had, I had another year of yeah, school. Uh, after after you had moved out and I had come out and I had crashed on your couch, I think right. when I was doing when I was interviewing for jobs um, in 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 the Bay Area. Um, and I think we were just hanging out and talking about stuff. And uh, and eventually I did get a job out here yes. and you were working out here. Um, yep. And ninety seven um, was a fantastic time to move out to San Francisco. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was and, very much no one had anyone any real idea about kind of what the quote right way to do things was. You know, <laughs> right. I was a mechanical engineer. I wasn't the last, the only CS class I've ever taken was junior of high school, uh, AP computer <laughs> science, uh, where I learned Pascal and everything else is essentially just self-taught, um, which I think was but, an amazing time to be out here because no one really knew exactly what we were doing. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I think what happened was, um, you know, because I knew you and we were friends and we were hanging out once I moved out. Um, and I had at that time discovered Slashdot. Um, and I yes. even remember exactly where I heard about Slashdot, which was in Professor McAdams class where um, when, oh gosh, uh, there was a point at which Netscape announced that they were going to go open source 
because mm -hmm. Microsoft was about to destroy them, which happened. But they announced, because originally Netscape had been proprietary. And in fact, like the original Netscape business plan was that they were going to charge for the browser, which is kind of hilarious in, in retrospect. Um, and that wasn't working and Microsoft was destroying them. And so they announced that they were going to go uh, open, they were going to open source the code. And one of the students in one of the classes I took with Professor McAdams brought that up and he said, yeah, it's all over this site, Slashdot. And so I like rushed home and looked up Slashdot and was like, just like I was with, with Danny's NTK was like, oh, this is, this is the great format. Um, I should switch Tector to this format. Uh, and at the time Slashdot had, they had released 0.3, their version of Slash code and you could download it. And I had no clue what to do with it. And so I was like, wait, Dennis, Dennis knows how to program. <laughs> so, so, Hey, Dennis, do you think you could install this and make it work on my site? And I'll turn Tectored into this. Yeah. So I think we had, we had one or two failed attempts where you, I think you came over, I tried to install it and figure it out it didn't work. And then we gave, yeah. I think I remember one late, late one night you came over, we tried, it didn't work. Um, and then finally you said, okay, let's just do this. I'm like, all right, go heads down and finally install it. Um, and slash code, you know, I think for the early days of, a, of a piece of open source software, um, what I loved about kind of working in technology in the, the late nineties was that you could, it was sort of the culture where view source was part of the browser, right? You could always be looking at code. Um, I have no idea what I'm doing really as a programmer. So <laughs> the fact that I could look at it and try to figure out what was happening, um, was how I learned, right? And I think that was sort of what I found amazing about working in Slash Code was that, you know, you, I could just download this thing of a site that I, we, we've we been reading and try to use it for TechDirt and modify it. Um, and we did. And and to give you, you all a sense for how, I mean, I don't know how many engineers we have here, but Slash Code 0.3 was written in an era before MySQL had the concept of a primary key. Um, so when you created a new story, it didn't, like you wanted to sign out a number, we don't know if that number was unique or not. So it would <laughs> do all sorts of like crazy trickery to get around this, you know, this, this absence of a of, of a primary key, which is why the comment IDs on the original on the original TechDirt posts are so crazy, and it's like a crazy number. Um, but it was really just it felt really kind of raw and cool. And finally, I remember when we actually you know posted it and got it working. It must have been maybe in like a year or two after you first initially were like, Hey, we should do this. And you're like, Oh, we should really do this. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think it was a little more compressed. I think it was about three months from the okay, time. No, no. Like a year. <laughs> yeah. Maybe closer to a year. I think, I think, I, let's see, I moved out in 98 actually. So it was June of 98. Yeah. And I think I started I, I found the pretty, first, pretty quickly. I found the first post. Is the first post from That's, March? It's March. Well, the, the first slash code version was March of 98 in 99. Yeah. So, here's, so sometime... so here's, our, here's our first post, which is uh, 1999, March 12th. This is the first post about E-Trade Venture Fund. Right. Um, and, and this is the first post. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think I think we'd had a few discussions in the fall of 98 about doing it. And I think you had really, you, we had tried like maybe in November or December and then it it wasn't until like February or March where I was like, come on, can we, can I, can I really, you know, and I, I think, I think we went to your, your office where you were working at the time yeah. and we just like, we're like eating pizza late at night, trying to figure out how the hell to get it to work. Like, okay. Finally... I, can, 
I can do this. I can figure it out. Let's just yeah. fire it up we and got it working. Make, make a website that works. Right. And, and this was, this was the Genesis and really, you know, the, if you look through the early posts, um, not many comments, right. Uh, but <laughs> you were very diligent about just kind of keeping at it every day. Uh, you'd be posting. Well, well the, the the other the other sort of sides backstory to that was that at that time I was working at a startup that was failing, um, and, and, and at this point where we were in the middle of the dot com boom and everybody was doing great, and mm-hmm. we I was at a company that was, you know, it, it was like you know, it, it was failing and it was a disaster and it was so, all sorts of hilarious stuff, and I just had no desire to actually be working on it because it was like, it was just so uncomfortable. And we had gone through this whole thing with the board firing the CEO and bringing in different people and just like a whole bunch of people who were just really didn't have no clue what they were doing and just were clearly there just to try and get rich. Um, and it was like this really, really frustrating job. And I was like, well, I have this little cubicle <laughs> because we had cubicles back then. Uh, I'm just going to be writing stories while I'm supposed to be working. Uh, and so the sort of ease, like the ease of a, a, a content management system like Slashdot was like completely new to me because that, something like that didn't exist before. Um, and then like the word blog didn't even exist before. Um, and so I just had this this little box that I could write in, click yeah. submit, and suddenly it was on the site. And like that was just incredible to me. I feel like slash that code was also like, in some ways, the Rosetta Stone of a lot of content moderation <laughs> stuff. Like when we talk about it now, a lot of ro- a lot of yeah. roads lead back to early slash dot decisions and and some of the ways that the early open source stuff worked. Um, I'm curious if like when the moment came when you realized like wow this is a thing. Like did something like go viral or proto viral or did like a <laughs> important person reach out to you and be like hey you wrote this thing that I have read and you're like, Oh no, grownups are reading this. Um, <laughs> or like, or like when, when you reach the point where you're like, okay, this is taking on like an elevated seriousness. Um, um, it, aside from your just like typical workaday Silicon Valley, like late, you know, wage, wage theft or whatever, like, <laughs> or, or, or like a, whatever it is, quiet, quiet quitting. Productivity. Right. right. I quiet quit way before quiet quitting was a With, thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of like wh- which were the sort of the big moments. I mean, there were a couple of times where, um, like, I, I again sort of, you know, I assumed I was sort of yelling into the void for for a while, um, and I was kind of, I, I don't know if I was unhappy or I, I didn't care that much. Like, I I just wanted to to speak, right? <laughs> like, I wasn't as concerned about how many people were listening. Um, but you know, and then I would start to go to different, different events. Um, and I remember like the first big event that I got invited to speak at was an O'Reilly event, um, in like 2002, I want to say it was early, early two thousands and O'Reilly invited me to speak. And I gave a terrible talk. It was one of the first times doing any kind of public speaking. It was bad. Um, but it had a great title, um, and like, I sort of based the entire thing on like, if I have a great title, I'll have a good audience. Um, and because the title of the speech was, if you have the killer app, how come I'm not dead yet? Um, <laughs> which, you know, it's catchy, right? People will notice that. Uh, and so I gave this talk and I remember I was sitting there and it was like the room was packed. 
Um, it was also like the whole conference was disorganized. There was nobody there who like, there's nobody there from O'Reilly in the room to tell me what to do. Like, I just noticed at one point, like, Hey, the time of the con of my talk was supposed to start. So I'm just going to go talk. Nobody introduced me. No, nothing. Um, I just got up and I started talking and I gave this talk and, and I noticed about halfway through the talk <laughs> that sitting front and center, and I hadn't noticed for like the first, it was only like a 20 minute talk. The first 10 minutes I hadn't noticed, but right about minute 10, Jeff Bezos was sitting front and center. And this was before Jeff Bezos was quite as big, but he was still, that was, he was still somebody, you know? And, and I recognized him and I was just like, oh shit. Like Jeff Bezos is listening to me talk. And I think I, I just sort of paused and like, it took me a moment on stage to sort of just like regather my thoughts. And I probably, you know, again, like the whole talk was, was not great. Um, but I, I was like, I was a little surprised that, that he was there, but you know, there were moments like that where I began to notice like, Oh, there are actually people paying attention to things that I have to say. Um, and I would hear, or I would show up at events and, and, you know, I would assume that nobody would know what Tector was. Um, and I was getting more and more of like, oh, of course, you know, like, oh, yeah, we read that. Um, the, the, the next sort of big moment in terms of like, I mean, Dennis mentioned like there are no, no comments on the early posts or whatever. But like the, the first time we, we hit the point where for a while we would have like, you know, yeah, some posts would have none. We'd have one or two, like a big comment day was like six comments on a post um the moment where suddenly and it, it was like this overnight thing that happened where suddenly it jumped to like between 25 and 50 comments um and there the what happened was that um everybody remembers google reader but this was before google reader google had their iGoogle homepage which would have like little news things. Like you could put like little boxes on, on, on this page of, of news and they had a tech news section, um, which wasn't a default, but if you wanted tech news, you could click and it would pop up and it had stories from, I, I think it was four different sources and I think it was wired slash dot possibly ZDNet and then me, and then Tech Dirt. And overnight, that, that I mean, it was like June of whatever year, I remember we went and all of a sudden, every day, we were having all this, this traffic. I have no idea who at Google made that decision to include Tech Dirt as one of the the four main tech news sources that was in their, in their iGoogle thing. But um, that that was like the first like oh hey th that was you know a, a stepping stone kind of kind of moment where suddenly we were getting traffic and people were were seeing us at a, on a much wider basis. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. No. I. It's funny how it's like it's not like you signed a deal like Netscape no. was like a random person <laughs> was like I've yes. said this. Um, yeah. And just threw it together. Yeah. And. Yeah. So, and so then, um, and I guess I want to jump a little, I don't want to not have this narrative, but I'm curious to talk a little bit more like thematically and about the issues over the years. Yeah. Like, cause it seems like around then, for example, like the copyright wars were sort of starting to, to get more serious. This is like, um, cause like YouTube, I guess was probably, 
if we're talking 2003, 2004, we're starting to become more of a thing. And then um, I forget when Viacom YouTube got filed. It was like 2007 or something. So, and I feel like for me, maybe some of my early memories of Tech Dirt were like the copyright wars. Um, yeah. So I'm, so, I'm, so I'm curious more broadly, like what, if we're looking back now for, you know, the 25 year view, like what some of the things that have persisted are, like what, like things that you've probably have a macro in your head where you've been like, <laughs> oh, this argument, um, like <laughs> here's the three, here's the three things I think about it um, versus other things that have, that have surprisingly changed. I just say that because for, for example, like five or six years ago, I remember I would talk to like law school students and be like, oh yeah, copyright was so fun for a period of time. And it was like all this interesting stuff happening and it was like very contentious. And now, now it's sort of becoming more of a backwater. Like the DMCA right. is sort of largely figured out and like CDA 230 is largely figured out. So I don't think this is like 2015, 2016. It's like, I don't expect there'll be a lot of like more interesting stuff to do there. And like, that was very, very wrong. Um, <laughs> but so, so I sort of wonder like for you, having gotten interested in like the copyright implications of open source and also of like content and, and DMCA, like what, what, what stuff has stayed the same over the years where I imagine you've had the same argument like 10,000 times and now sort of have a part of your brain that just deploys the macro. Whereas other things where you've had to change your mind or change Tector sort of position a bunch on it to, to accommodate reality. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I definitely like a lot of the themes are, have remained kind of the same and like going back, like even if you look at those early newsletters, you see the same sorts of ideas and themes around, you know, certainly copyright encryption patents, all, you know, sort of all the, the, the intellectual property um, realms and ideas are, are are there um you know i think you that were sort of on team open from the beginning right like i, I feel yeah. like you were just like we're on team open we're gonna do this and right see, see and, and, and again like a lot of that really came came from sort of those experiences with like professor mcadams and professor greenberg where um so much of it was like you know this was a time when there was all of this like possibility and and you know, but, but there was actually like theory behind it. Right. You know, um, and that was the, that was the thing that really got to me the most, which was like, because of the work I had done with, with those two professors in particular, like I really had built out this sort of mental model of why this makes sense. And it wasn't just the sort of like general sense that like openness is good and, and freedom is good though. You know, I think those are, those are good principles to have. Um, but like, I really had a, a very strong, clear mental model of like you know the the there's the moral reasons why it makes sense the economic reasons why it makes sense the legal reasons why it makes sense like it all sort of fit together for me and i still sort of see that 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 picture um and so you know anytime different things would come up within that space i would sort of run it through that mental model and it sort of outputs this like this makes sense or this doesn't make sense and why? And you sort of see like, where did, where did these things break down? And, you know, so one of the things that I, I've definitely sort of discovered over the years and, and, you know, to be honest, like, I don't think my views have really changed all that much. You know, I think that mental model still pretty good. 
Um, and I still run a lot of things through that same sort of basic framing of things and pop out, uh, does this make sense or does this not make sense? The, the one thing that I will say, and I think this is just sort of the nature of like getting older, and like living through more stuff is you begin to realize like how much more complex things are than whatever mental model that you've come up with or whatever model framework or whatever that you're using. And so like, you know, starting with copyright because like copyright is like obviously one of the very first subjects that we went really deep on. And, and, you know, I still, to this day, learn new things about copyright law and, and there are parts of copyright law. I still don't understand. There are parts of copyright law. I believe no one understands, but like, you know, including like very, very high priced copyright lawyers who have to deal with it. Um, and like, you just come across all of these, these interesting things that, that, everything is a little bit more complex and reality is always, always more complex than any model, which is how it should be. Right. You know? Um, and so like, I think, you know, I still have, obviously <laughs> as everyone here can attest to, I still have really strong views on, on lots of things. Um, but I, I think I, I'm, um, much more open to recognizing the, the complexity of things and that, you know, even where I feel strongly about where, what is the proper way to go, that, that there aren't necessarily easy answers and that every, every option has trade-offs. And even the things that I think are, are sort of better solutions or um, ideas that really take into account kind of, um, you know, the realities of the internet or information or the economics or the, the legal issues, um, that every one of them have, has trade-offs and that there is no perfect solution whatsoever. And, and I think that I've spent a lot more time in the, the more recent years kind of trying to highlight that aspect of it and that how like, you know, a lot of simple solutions are problematic because they don't take into account the realities and that, you know, that there is no perfect answer and you sort of have to learn to, you know, how, how are you going to weigh the different trade-offs that, that are generated by whatever decision you make? Yeah. And I, th I think, well, I think early days there was like this insurgency energy, which is sort of like trying to break up the shackles of like assumptions around um, either like proprietary models or closed models, or just like inertia around being like, look, kid, this is how we do things. You like DL <laughs> and like, that's how it goes into right. like, sounding like like a wild-eyed hippie or like an anarchist of being like no no we can sort of like share this part freely but then monetize this other part i feel like it was much more uphill back then and now with some amount of dominance in some industries you now have the responsibility <laughs> of like being a grown-up who understands trade-offs and um being more modulated in, in like how you come out of the gate even um yeah you know what i mean even the way the tech dirt i think is received which is like i think it was part of that, and I, and I mean insurgency only in, partly in the sense of just like trying to throw off like the 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 done thing or like the way that industries assume things should be done. Um, and now that there's like more of a menu that's been opened up, um, the implicate it's 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 way harder now that like um, the starting point is very different. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, I think that's and. That's true. But but I, I guess I guess for me another another uh, I guess the thing I wanted to talk a little bit about was like to me and then we can maybe start taking some questions so people can can hear the one is like it seems like the, like the the commit the commitment of Tector to like 
I think of it as like one of the places where people still believe in the enlightenment and that like, <laughs> yeah. in, in, in that, like, I don't think, like, I don't think it's like rhetoric and trickery. I think it's very much like, here's, here's the arguments and like, like we will deploy them. We will fix them. We will tinker with them and improve them. And then we will put them out there and then we will like believe, believe that we will persuade people. And I just wonder how the last 10 years has affected your view <laughs> just of like affected as a political actor because because I think because I think yeah. you and the and the site still remain very committed to being like well here's the arguments we're going to improve our arguments once we encounter other good arguments but that's yeah. where we are as opposed to being engaged in like um, skillful rhetoric around swaying different polled parts of the population but I feel like you increasingly also need to contend with that or at least part of that. Um, way that tech is received now. And I'm curious how that's like affected you and, and how, you know, how, how you, how you create the site. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's a really good question. It's sort of a really insightful observation and it is something that I think about because, you know, and, and, and I probably should have said this earlier, right. Which is that I, I've always viewed TechDirt as, as like a conversation, right. I mean, it's why I've said from the beginning, like I, I really value the, the community aspect of it which is that I'm figuring out this stuff too. Uh, and, and as I go, like I'm sort of, you know, it's, it's sort of a first draft, right? I'm thinking these things through and I'm making my arguments and then people yell at me and, and they say, no, you're wrong. Like, why didn't you think about this? And, and there are a bunch of times where I'm like, yeah, you know, you're right. I didn't, I didn't understand that complexity. I didn't understand that nuance. And, and, and having people sort of explain to me and point it out sort of makes me think these things through and makes me change my mind. Um, and I still view, view it that way. And I still think that's important. Um, and, but that's, that's just sort of also kind of like my own nature, I think. Um, and it's, it's, it's been weird to me. There's this element of like right now, like, you know, the most successful sort of media, properties these days that you know beyond the sort of like general news media properties but you have all these people who are like just clearly full of shit right um but but they're able to sort of like build up these kind of like followings around like ideological viewpoints or whatever um and you know have you ever been asked to like sell supplements or is that like <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Like, if, I, if I start doing like, the Alex Jones screaming and like ripping off my shirt, then I think we've, we've hit a real problem. Like, just it'd be really funny if you sold like nootropics or something that's like more in line with Silicon Valley. Like, yeah. but if it's just like the your your own supplement empire. Oh God, uh, no, no, that has never that we've never been approached in that in that way, and I don't think I would feel comfortable doing that. You have lots lots of t-shirts, Mike. Come on. Yes, lots of t-shirts. Well, that was our first our first t-shirt. I mean, if we want to talk history real quick, like the the um, so I'm 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 jumping away from your question, but it's just kind of kind of amusing, right? It was like so one of the one of the first times we we did get noticed uh, was like um, I had written this thing the, the the San Jose Mercury News, which used to be an important news organization within Silicon Valley, had this contest about like, and this was in the really early 2000s, just about like how everybody was scared of Napster and file sharing and all this kind of stuff. And so they had this contest where it was like, can you come up with a business model that like embraces file sharing? Um, 
And so they had people submit different, you know, or like what, what is going to save the music industry kind of thing. And I had written something, which I posted to TechDirt and then sent in to, to them as well. And I won a, a t-shirt, a good morning, Silicon Valley, a bright orange, good morning, Silicon Valley t-shirt that I might actually still have somewhere. Um, and, um, and so I, I had started writing out this business model of like different ways that you could embrace the free sharing of information and and the free sharing of music to build on other business models. And, in, you know, and mentioning that, I, that is where I get to all of my like abundance and scarcity arguments and and stuff that I've written about over the years. And that included, um, you know, I just said, you know, if you're if the music is free, there's all sorts of scarce goods that you can sell, including among many other things, t-shirts. Uh, and that became uh, a sort of uh, something that that some of the people who disliked me pick, picked up on, and, and including like our very first troll. And Dennis, do you remember the name of the first Tector troll or not? Uh, when you say it, I'll remember it. It was, it was uh, somebody who went by the name Dorpus. D-O-R-P-U-S, Dorpus. So Dorpus showed up in our comments and just became our, our first troll and would just like go after us. And in fact, like we would tell people when they would when they would start writing for the site that like you haven't really made it until Dorpus starts, you know, attacking you. Uh, and he would just go on and on like, oh, like Masnick's answer to everything is so lots of T-shirts. Oh, that, like that's going to solve anything, blah, 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 blah. So the very first time we ever produced a T-shirt, it was a T-shirt that just read lots of T-shirts on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yes. That's like the writing for exposure of its of its day. Yes. I think, I mean, so, so do you have like, I what I've also found over the years is like you you have a curious long curious relationships with your trolls right um <laughs> That's and, and we've talked it. about this and, and like Intectorate has its own like community moderation right. stuff going on um but um but your trolls are very <laughs> like they either just like they're engaged with you in a particular like negative way or they're just like really passionate about some topic and they're just like i don't like i care about this one topic a lot but i i've i've often thought about like like who like who are your like your usual suspects of trolls over the year or like when I think of like the um, it, it's, it's sort of like an inverted um, romantic comedy. Like who are you, who are you like, your, who have your trolls been over the years? Yeah. Oh, it's funny. I just, I literally earlier this week had a, had a conversation there was a, I'm, I'm certainly not going to name them, but, but uh, another sort of independent site of, of, similar size and and fame i would say and and they were sort of like trying to rethink how they did their comments and so we had a sort of uh you know discussion on like how tectert how tectert's comment section actually works um and so i was talking about like the different kinds of trolls because that's a different a site on a very different topic um and they have very different trolls as i discovered but i was trying to classify the different kinds of, of sort of troll comments that we have and you know it's weird. There are some who who pretty clearly are the same people taking on different roles. Um, and if you follow them over time, they have tells. And it becomes very obvious, like, oh, you know, this guy is back, but now he's got a different name and he has a different style. Like, there, there were, like, these very, very subtle changes. Like, there was one, one of our early trolls was just, you know, basically – just whatever I would say, 
would would argue the opposite and it was this weird infatuation obsession i don't know what it was just kind of creepy but would just argue you know it didn't matter what i was arguing he would always argue the the opposite um two ridiculous levels and and it would just it, that one actually did get under my skin a little bit and then he disappeared for like three months and then he came back and was clearly the same guy but suddenly he would no longer use capital letters he had a, a different username but it was all lowercase and so like you know then he became lowercase troll and then he and went that away like, that was like the yeah. genius way to throw you off the scent yeah, like, but it, it was so obvious about it. And that's the, the weird, like the thing that becomes really obvious is like the, the trolls always have tells and like you can always figure out like, oh, this is the same guy as before. You, they can't hide it. They, they always go back to to their, their you know, their method of trolling. And like we, we you know. I'm, I'm I'm debating how much I want to say now, but like, like we we have we we have like someone now who it was a troll who was on the site a long time ago disappeared for for about two years or so so and then recently just showed up again and I'm just like I like he's pretending to be somebody totally new but like there's just too many things in here that are the the identical you know the identical things that he just picks up on and obsesses over that it's got to be the the same guy from like two years ago. Um, I, I sort of love, so like for me as somebody who's been like the detector, like comments for a very long time, like it's, I always love how personal it is. Like I know the personal attacks <laughs> get kind of crazy, but it's, it's yeah. like, I feel like you could, you could hire your trolls to go tell your parents <laughs> what a lot about you. Cause like, the folks, <laughs> like, cause they know so much and also about like your views over the years and like yeah. when they've changed, like oh, yeah. you have like you have like personal historians of your own intellectual history. Like they're, they're like hostile historians, but they're people who've like <laughs> done a tremendous amount of yeah. giving a lot of care to this stuff. And I also think it's like, I think of those as like um, group therapy or like getting a second <laughs> chance and like somebody comes back in a new incarnation to like try to ele- like bring, bring a new chapter to the, to the, like the trolling trolley relationship. But even yeah. though tech dirt is like sort of institutional to me. And I feel like the other writers on tech dirt, inherit whatever hostility and other things the trolls have towards you. You know what I mean? It's sort of like the substitute teacher where it's like, where it's yeah. like that the whole vibe is like <laughs> established early, but it's definitely one of the things that makes the community feel very distinctive. And yeah. And I would also say like less platformy, like more yeah. community and, and less platformy, which I think is like yeah. a, th- a thing I, that I, when I talk to platforms that I like, that has a community vibe. I will say it's, it's interesting to me too, that like, um, some of the the community members, the, the the supportive community members, have also figured out when when the same trolls reappear, and they notice the same tells. Um, and occasionally, like there's one, I don't know, I don't know who this person is. It's an anonymous commenter who is, you know, uh, a, a Tector supporter, but they they've actually figured out who some of the actual trolls are, like to the, to their names and in some cases i believe they're correct like i sometimes have a little bit more information about who some of the trolls really are um and i i don't reveal that because i'm not i'm not about to do that but like i'm surprised at how resourceful other people are at figuring out who some of the, the trolls are as well and sort of like the way the community themselves sort of responds to the trolls and, and deals with them sometimes very well sometimes you know it, it becomes it goes a little bit crazy yeah but um, we we should we should make sure we take some questions from the audience. Yeah, yeah. 
I hope folks are, I, I don't see any in the chat, but um, there's, there is in the, there's a Q and a section. Okay. If you click over, there's, I see a couple questions in the Q and a, um, and then we can that's also, fantastic. yeah, that's okay. Um, if anyone, I, I think you can raise your hand as well. If anyone wants, and I can call people to the stage, if people want to, um, uh, ask questions. I think there's like a raise hand button. I forget exactly how, how, how this all works. Um, but I think there's like a raise hand button at the bottom, but there, there, are, there are a few questions in the Q and a, if we want to. Yeah, let's at least talk. So, and so we have, um, with plenty of upvotes, um, any favorite examples of seeing tech dirt's influence in the wild, aside from the dry sand effect? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's a great question. The, the dry sand effect is just sort of this weird thing that took on a life of its own, obviously. Um, uh, a couple other things, just like, um, the, jeez, uh, um, there's there are a bunch of different things that have come up in odd places. So certainly the, um, the stuff I've talked about recently about that I, I've jokingly referred to as Masnick's impossibility theorem about content moderation at scale is impossible to do well. Um, that's popped up in, in all sorts of weird places and apparently was like a running theme at some giant in, internal Facebook meeting that, I, that, that was later reported out, uh, which is a little bit freaky to me. Um, the... Um, uh, I've definitely heard, you know, I hear stuff from from people within Congress kind of frequently about about tech dirt articles appearing and and having an influence and scaring people away from doing this or getting people to change that. Um, so I think that happens, and it's always that's always a little bit amazing to me. Um, more recently, the the protocols not platforms paper that I did has has you know obviously got, generated a lot of attention and. In, in theory or in part inspired Jack Dorsey to start the blue sky project. Um, though who knows with everything that's going on with Twitter, what that, what happens with that now though, blue sky is, is moving forward and exists and is doing some stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing that, that these things that sort of start as, as ideas that I'm talking about on tech dirt um, show up. I've, I've ended up in, strange rooms talking to people I never thought I would talk to in my life um, uh, from all different realms, from, from politics, from music. My favorite, I'll, I'll give you this one as a, a final one was where I gave, you know, I gave this, the uh, one of the sort of famous talks that I gave that, that did spread around and is still on YouTube was the, the connect with fans reason to buy talk that I gave at the Midem conference, which is a big giant music industry conference. Dennis, you came to, to Midem with me one year as well. Um, and, um, uh, and that, that, first talk that I gave at Midem really went kind of viral within the music industry, um, which was very, very strange. Um, and it sort of became a theme of the conference. And my favorite thing was like, it, you know, it, it, it is a, a music industry recording industry conference. Um, and those are people who generally don't like me because of my views on copyright. Uh, and what amazed me was how many people I had from like major record labels, pull me aside at the conference and be like, 
you know, it, it, I, there was one example I remember very clearly where the guy like walks up to me as backstage and the guy walks up to me and he sort of does this like look both ways, make sure nobody else sees him talking to me. Nobody can overhear him. And he was just like, hey, you're right. Like, I agree with you. You know, I'm from blah, 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 major record label. Like, I can't say that too loudly, but you, you're you totally on board with this stuff. So I was like, well, that's that's kind of cool. <laughs> That reminds me, I just wanted to, me to mention for a second. Yeah. I, I remember there was one DMCA hearing that we were doing um, or like at the copyright office where uh -huh. somebody complained about you tweeting about it during <laughs> the hearing. And then it like got into the record of the hearing that like the copyright office was supposed to like admonish you for being a dick on yes. Twitter. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm not going to name the person who brought it up because I don't, I don't need to deal with that again, but like, yeah, it was, it was a big deal. And like, you know, it's, it's funny, right? So obviously like I'm really opinionated and, and I mean, as we sort of made clear and as I think everybody here knows, like I'm not that concerned about the political aspect of it. I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm trying to convince people with what I have to say, but I can, I, I can be, pointed uh and so some people get really upset by that and i've seen like people like people forward me emails of like i i had there was this is like maybe a year ago i i still love this where like somebody forwarded this email from a uh unnamed senator's you know senior legislative staff just trashing me <laughs> for like the, you know and and wrong about so much stuff but like just really saying like how i'm 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 an untrustworthy commenter and like nobody should ever listen to me and blah 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 <laughs> and i i found it kind of funny especially because the person who forwarded it to me very kindly also had like replied to the thing and like debunked like each one of the guys talking points is like no you know like this article here goes exactly against what you're saying like he wrote this he's willing to consider these things blah blah blah, blah. but like you know i recognize that you know people get upset but you know i'm i'm trying to focus on like what's true <coughs> not not what's going to make people happy so let, let me there's good questions here let me just quickly yeah. rattle off some of the questions for you for you both to <clears throat> take up whichever ones you want um one of them is is asking like the history behind anonymous coward um then yeah. sort of where that came from um one of them is what what topic gets covered at, at tector that is of interest to you but doesn't seem to have much interest or traction with the community oh. um uh one question is just what are some other big milestones in tector history that, that are important and and the last one is um how do you handle aggressive posts that slip through moderation whether they're attacks or disruption and has your approach to moderation changed over the years so those are all good questions i can re resurface those but i thought i'd just get them all out there yeah uh dennis you want to take on the, the anonymous coward anonymous coward has a very straightforward answer um yeah that's that's part of slash code and slash dot so yeah. that actually came from just from them. built in just built right in um, and, yeah, it, and it and actually we, honestly we kept it. fits really well. Fits really well with Tector. Um, so no, people get mad. Yeah, I mean, we, we've gotten emails where like people post, and if you don't, because if it's just if you don't put in any name, that's what shows up. Um, and people have gotten mad. Like uh, we got, I remember one like really, really furious email. Like, how dare you relabel me, anonymous coward? <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. And occasionally we've had people say like, well, you know, you support. Uh, anonymity because we do we talk about it and yet you call people anonymous cowards as if you're insulting them it's like yeah, it's just a joke and it's just a throwback to to the slash code aspect of it um, yeah so the anonymous card that came from slash code the other thing that came from slash code is the from the department 
um, line right. that I that I haven't actually seen elsewhere. Um, that I think is I I've, I feel like that part is very tech dirty. Uh, and then the topics yes. the topics are as well as uh, you know, it came from slash code, but we of course made our own topics. But yeah, great question. And the and, and the single topic image that goes with with each topic. Um, so let's see of the other questions. Um, so something that you you are passionate about that has not got gotten a lot of uh, you know response from the community. Oh the yeah, news. yeah. There's definitely some, and, and suddenly I'm sort of like racking my brain on like which which stories those are. Um, I mean. I definitely like, you know, some of this goes back to kind of like the original thinking behind TechDirt, which was, you know, again, like I was coming out of business school and I was coming at it from like thinking about the economics stuff. And and obviously some of that has caught on and some of that is interesting. Um, but one, when one I, of the original, one of the original like whoop. things that people used to talk Go about TechDirt was that like when the programmers are reading slash slash dot, like their, their managers are reading TechDirt, right? So it was, I think that was sort of what maybe you're alluding to is that the business side. Um, yeah, okay. that that was that was the line, that was the line that Forbes used. Forbes gave us like an an, an award, and that was the, the. I remember the the reporter said like, "Do you think is is this an accurate thing? Like when the when the engineers are using are reading slash dot, their their bosses are reading, uh, TechDirt. And I was like, "I love it. Go, you know, yeah, yeah. use that." Um, but, but, you know, so, so a lot of like the economic stuff, like I'm really, I'm still really interested in that and kind of like the economics of information and things like that. And it doesn't always like those, those feel like more deep in the weeds and they maybe don't get as much attention. Um, but I, I still really, I still really like to have those, those sort of thought provoking discussions. Um, and there, there are some other ones too. I'm just I'm trying to think like I'm, I, I used to have like a, a kind of list of things in my head where I was like, oh, these are things that I want to write about, but like the community is not going to be as interested in, but I'm sort of blanking on, uh, um, uh, on, on what those are. Um, yeah. I feel like there was a, there was like a strong FCC net neutrality bunch of years <coughs> where there was like yeah. a lot of like admin law and like, and that hasn't gone away. It just sort of like has taken a back seat. Yeah, but, I mean, like, I, I don't yeah, know. I mean, yeah. again, it was it was sort of like you know dependent on uh, um, uh, on on how you know on what was kind of big at the time and what was happening, and so the net neutrality stuff was really big, and then sort of faded. There's still FCC stuff, and you know, and, and Carl, of course, covers a lot of the FCC stuff. That's just wonderful, um, and so th there's a bunch of stuff there. We we do have, by the way, I see we do have a hand raise. We have we have Brent. Um, so, uh, I'm going to call you to stage if you want to come on stage, um, and, and ask a question. I think I have done that. So you should get a notification that you can come up hey and there. ask a question. Hey, Hey, nice to see you, Mike. Um, yeah, um, you. you and I have interacted, um, a number of times over the years on the same topic. And that topic is, um, simultaneous invention. Oh yeah, and we've sure. just done that recently over the last week, and I and I suppose that's another thing that um, you know hasn't really had a particular topic. It's never been a particular topic that gets a lot of attention, but it is a particular topic that um, has a lot of power. Um, you know, 
I'm seeing a lot of, um, you know, uh, patent litigation over, over the past couple of years um, as things reach their 20-year sort of limit um, about stuff that I did 20 years ago. And you may or may not remember that I did a lot of stuff in the pre-AJAX stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> a lot of that stuff at the time, I just did because it was quite obvious that that was the next thing that needed to be done to uh, bring technology forward at the time. And so I did those things and people are telling me now, oh, geez, you really should have, uh, you know, patented that. You'd be a rich man now and everything. Like that. <laughs> and, and, you know, I didn't because um, I wanted to share all this knowledge with everybody. Boy, isn't this a cool way to do things? Let's all do it and let's move, you know, move the needle forward. And um, and so I think this simultaneous invention thing um, is is a big thing in all of these uh, in all of these contentious issues that has never really got enough focus in um, news so mm-hmm. that uh, people can understand um, you know the things that you and I understand implicitly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good one. I mean, I, I sort of always associate that with the, um, uh, I'm, I'm going to send you back to your seat now, <laughs> but like, uh, <laughs> as I'm, I'm figuring out the system, like um, the, um, I, I think that I, I sort of lump that in with sort of the patent stuff. And and all of these things seem to have a, a life cycle, right? I mean, the copyright stuff is hot for a while, then FCC, net neutrality, then patent stuff. And so they sort of just go through times when they're sort of hot politically, and then suddenly, like the discussions become, uh, you know, a lot more engaging, and, and so we end up talking about this stuff. That actually does remind me of something. And, and Dennis, I don't know if you remember this at all, but like, you know, uh, one of the things we had done early on was um, we had we and very few people know this. We had built our own RSS reader, um, and which we used to sort of track news. I used it for for many years and we'd used it internally. And in theory, like it might've been a a cool product, but like it had some, some kind of cool features. And at one point I had had a discussion with you, Dennis, about whether or not we should patent some of the, the features, not because I plan to like, you know, lock them up and sue people for it, but because like I kept getting, I kept having people yell at me about things that, that, uh, you know, when I would talk about patents, like, oh, well, you don't have a patent. So, you know, you've never done anything worthwhile in your life. You know, how can you talk about this stuff? And so there was this part of it is like, hey, we've done something kind of unique and new here. And we had we had a whole system of sort of like aging out uh, RSS feeds and news and RSS feed that I thought was actually kind of cool and was was really, really kind of useful. Um, and I was like, you know, I think we might be able to get a patent on it. And then I can just have that patent to be like, no, dude, I do have a patent. And I still think that patents are lame and ridiculous and, and shouldn't, shouldn't be, uh, uh, you know, used this way and that we should, we should really fix the system. Um, but I think we realized it was, it was probably like too expensive and too annoying uh, to actually do that just to make a point. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the simultaneous invention stuff I think is, is really, really interesting and a topic that should get, should get more attention. Um, I think we're, we're, we're running out of time. I don't know. Do we want to close on one of the other questions? Yeah, sure. And, uh, um, so there's moderation milestone. So I guess, um, I guess going with milestones, I 
I was wondering if, uh, apart from particular milestones, maybe we can close that by, I was wondering if you see tech dirt in like sort of distinct phases or mm. if there's been like, you know, it's, it's life where there's been moments where it's sort of changed in its nature for you. And, you know, you're, you're 25 years into a career builder and, and <laughs> sort of like maybe what your ambitions are, or, you know, or what success will look like for the next five, five to 10. And I know someday we could, we can all be like arguing over text in the retirement home about all this <laughs> <laughs> the, no, it's going to be in the metaverse, right? We're going to be wearing VR goggles and <laughs> yep. and, and yep. arguing I'll, that way, I'll, right? I'll have my janky open source alternative to Oculus. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we all will, right? At least the people here will. Uh, and we'll be all, all alone, just us. Uh, right. Um, well, we, we, can, we can realize that funny and insightful are just like the two lobes <laughs> of the brain. <laughs> and so that's, that's what gets activated. That's right. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, going back over 25 years, like, you know, it's tough to sort of divide them into sort of distinct um, eras, but, th but there are parts of it. And I think in my head, a lot of it more is also like on um, the the distinct eras also have some some view on like, you know, what was our business model at the time? Because it's changed over the years. Like, how do we keep the lights on? Has always been sort of like the ongoing challenge of running a small media organization is always kind of, you know, at times scary. And so like, you know, and we've, we've definitely changed and tried different things and experimented in different ways. And so in my head, I sort of, you know, I, I keep them connected, even though to, to people outside, people who are just, you know, who, are part of the community and readers are just focused on the tech church stuff. A lot of Islam, like, you know, how do, how do we keep this, the site alive? Um, but there, there are moments that are obviously really big and sort of errors of like, you know, like the SOPA fight was, was, you know, we, we got a huge, you know, boost in audience around that time. And a lot of people paid attention to that. Um, you know, we've had, you know, fights about nowadays, obviously like content moderation is a big, big part of the discussion. Um, and, there was the the time we dealt with a big lawsuit that sort of took over a lot of my mental cycles. Um, and so, you know, I do, I do sort of view it in, in kind of eras in, in that way, but also other things like, you know, over the last few years, um, you know, as certainly some of the people here know, you know, we've been doing all these like cool experiments with, with games and like creating these different games to help people understand the technology world. And that's been a really sort of exciting, different thing that we've been working on. And we want to do a lot more on that. And, and we're like some of this, the work that we've done in that realm, we're like, we're seeing real impact on from, from what we've done. And that's like really, really cool. And we want to expand on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, like going forward, the biggest thing, you know, I still like TechDirt itself is always kind of the core of all of these things. And just like having a place to, to work out these ideas and, and discuss them with people and, you know, have people tell me when I'm wrong and have people help me rethink, you know, where, where what, what am I missing? What is the perspective that I'm missing? And of the like 75 different variables that are going to impact this one thing, like how am I missing, you know, the really big one or something like that. Um, and so, you know, I want to keep building the site. I want to keep having the community there. We're, we're, you know, now that we finally moved off of off of our proprietary system, which you know, we we took slash code out of it, but but we had our own proprietary proprietary system. And now that we're on WordPress, we're we're sort of 
looking forward to being able to enable a bunch of other features and create a bunch of other stuff on, on the site and just, you know, do more for the community. We've always had lots of ideas. It's always just been about like having the time and focus and resources to actually build it out. Um, and so, you know, I don't, don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon. Need to keep your friends and trolls close. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, to, to, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I'm sure there was an era when I tried to convince you to move to medium. So there was, cool. there was, <laughs> I, I remember those conversations, but, uh, yeah, anyways, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's always a challenge and, and like, we've seen how much things have changed and how much things have stayed the same over the past 25 years. And I imagine we'll see more of that different things are going to pop up. And, and part of what I, you know, enjoy about this is, you know, in some sense, it's a challenge of, you know, what, what do we do next? What do we focus on? We have a million ideas um, and some of them are better than others. Some of the things will get around to testing and some of them will work and some of them will fail. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's great to, to be able to keep doing the, this kind of stuff. So uh, I, I really enjoy it. And, and, uh, you know, much of that again goes out to the the folks who have been here and supporting the community and a part of the community and you know a bunch of whom are here so thank you so much for for coming to this and and supporting us and just being a part of the community over the years and uh i guess i'll i'll thank dennis obviously for for all the help over the years and getting getting slash code set up and and then everything else that we worked on over the years and and alex uh for coming on board and leading this conversation and and helping us have have this discussion so thanks to everyone for coming thanks again alex and dennis and thank uh, you goodbye yep see you in 25 no no bye yeah. Someone will get hurt. So grab a shovel and dig up the tank.